Lord, we hold in our hands your precious, precious word. The entirety of it is inspired by you. Every word is inspired by you. It is, as we read in your word, it is the very breath of God. We have already experienced here this morning profound worship. And we ask you consistently to set this place apart for your purposes. To post your angels around this place to make this a holy refuge, a holy sanctuary where only your business is done. Business that involves our hearts and our lives. So as we come to your word this morning, Lord Jesus, may it be exalted as it points to you. May, may, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may your word this morning, Lord Jesus, transform us. You have said that if we love you, we will keep your commandments. Help us to know your word. Empower our time together this morning with your Holy Spirit. Lift the word off the page and into our hearts. We praise you for this precious word. You have said it would not come back empty. So have your way. Do your will. And we will, we will say amen. We will say praise the Lord. As we have just sung, the whole reason for it is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. May that be so here today. In your name we pray. Well, as we consider our, continue our series on what it means to follow Christ and the cost of following Jesus, this morning we've come to the, the aspect of God's Word and what the role of God's Word is in the life of a believer. I'd like us to, um, now that you've sat down, would you stand with me as we recite the second article of the Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith? regarding the Word of God. Say it with me together. We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings. The complete revelation of His will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I'm going to make an attempt this morning at helping us to understand the precious, precious value and nature of God's Word. You're going to hear me say often this morning, the Word of God that you hold in your hand. And I want you to notice from our statement of faith that it's not, it's not this Bible that is inerrant, that is infallible. It is the original writings. This is a translation, 
okay? But this, this in its original writings is the, is the word of God, the very breath of God. We'll talk about that this morning. So when you hear me say that, some of you might say, well, Mike, that, that English standard version you have, that's not the inspired word of God. That's just a translation of it. You're right. But it's what I have in my hand. And it's the word of God. And trust me, God uses it to speak to me and to speak to all of us. Amen? Amen. It's, it seems to be more and more commonplace to hear someone say that they believe the universe is telling them something. You'll hear something like, well, I think the universe is telling me to go out with this girl, or, or the universe is telling me to take this job, or the universe is sending me positive vibes about something. Have you, come on, have you heard that? The universe is saying to me. I recently heard someone tell a group of kids, and, and forgive me if I've told you this story, but it just has really made an impression on me. I, I recently heard somebody tell a group of young kids uh, about a situation, and, and he was asking, in our context, we'd be asking for prayer for something. But in this particular context, the person had this group of smaller children around him, and he said, now so-and-so is having a big deal tomorrow. I didn't even hear, I couldn't hear everything, so I didn't hear what the big deal was. I think it was a test of some kind. I want you all to think positive thoughts for her tomorrow. And I want you all to think all the positive thoughts in the universe, I want you to wish them down on her tomorrow. I was, I was looking through a glass window into another room, and I was about ready to come out of my skin. No mention of prayer, no mention of God's grace, no mention of God's intervention, just positive thoughts from the universe. And I have a newsflash for you this morning. The universe doesn't speak. I can gaze at the universe, I can study the universe, I can explore the depths of the oceans and the heights of heavens, I can run in the fear of the power of, 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 the power of a volcano, a hurricane, or an earthquake. I can wonder at the amazing life of a hummingbird. Okay, I have to stop here. We have a hummingbird feeder. Do you have a hummingbird feeder outside your house? Are they there anymore? I think they left. Do you know what they do? Do you know what they do? They fly from here down to our, our Gulf Coast, and they fly nonstop across the Gulf of Mexico to their winter habitat. How big is a hummingbird? This big? Non-stop across the Gulf of Mexico. So when they say put, the, put feed out for the hummingbirds, you're doing them a big favor because they're trying to fatten up. I, I'm serious. I'm totally amazed by that. I'm totally amazed by that. I can even talk to my dog and she, she does understand some of my vocabulary. The only thing she doesn't understand is down and be quiet. <laughs> she does a lot of other things. She even plays the piano. True story. But listen, people. The universe can't speak out its desire, can't speak out its wisdom for my life. And even... Contrary to popular belief, the alignment of the stars does not dictate the alignment of my life. The universe doesn't speak. 
In fact, I'm not sure the universe even cares about you or I. And in fact, I'll, I'll go so far as to say if evolution is all we understand about our origins, our purpose, and the ultimate value or purpose of the universe, then the universe cannot care about us or for us because it's simply the survival of the fittest. All the radars and antennas of modern science can never hear the universe proclaim its will for me. The universe won't help you pass your test. The universe won't choose your spouse for you. The universe won't plan your career path. The, I'll say it again. The universe does not speak. Now, some of you are about ready to come out of your chairs with me right now. You're saying that, that indeed creation does speak. In fact, the Bible says so. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, I'll start at verse 1. Listen to what the psalmist says in the same vein as what we're speaking of now. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The psalmist is speaking about Natural revelation, general revelation. The universe indeed is speaking. Look at the words that the psalmist uses. I, I've circled them in my, in my Bible. Declare the glory of God. Proclaim his handiwork. Pours out speech. His, uh, whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out. That's, that's the voice of God going out into all of the universe, through the universe. Indeed, the universe proclaims a message. And the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1. Let's, let's turn there if you would. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Verse 19. Paul says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. That's the universe. The universe is speaking. The voice of the universe declares the glory of God. But listen, the voice of the universe does not declare its specific will for me. The voice of the universe is designed for one thing. The glory of the universe is designed for one thing, and that's to draw attention to the creator of all things. All of creation points to God, to the one who not only created, but the one who sustains, whose very breath sustains life. That's the call of nature. That's the, that's the voice of nature. That's nature speaking to us. But don't ever let someone tell you or don't ever say that the universe told me who I should marry. The universe cannot do it. And I want you to think about it. It's not the universe or the creation that speaks. It's God who speaks through it. The beauty, the wonder, the power, and the complexity of creation beg for us to see the creator. 
It all draws attention to him. In this way, it's not the universe speaking. It's God speaking through it. Just lock this in your brain this morning. God speaks. God speaks. That, that truth needs to be put in the pantheon of profound truths that will stop you in your tracks, that will silence your arguments, that will redirect your life and compel your heart to worship. God speaks. Natural revelation through creation is, is one way. It's a general way that God speaks to us, draws attention to himself. There are two other specific ways that God speaks. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The author of Hebrews begins with this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he goes on to describe the glory of Jesus Christ. But what are the two ways? So, there's three ways altogether that God has spoken to us. One is general revelation, which we've talked about, creation, the universe. The second thing in here, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the word of God. The prophets wrote down their messages. And it's all compiled in the Hebrew, te- the Hebrew scriptures, which is what we call the Old Testament. We have the written word of God. And then finally, we have the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to reveal to us who the Father is in the Father's plan for us. We have those three ways where God specifically speaks to us, and it's all empowered by the Holy Spirit. Through creation, we see all the attributes of God. Through his word, we see his will and his plan for us. Through his Son, we see his glory, and we hear his heart. God speaks. It's not some nebulous, the universe is saying to me kind of a revelation. It's specific, it's illuminating, and it's all I need to know to live my life in the light of his salvation in his life. The Word of God. God speaks. Today we're going to look at the Word of God. We're going to look at Scripture and what role it plays in the life of the believer. It is the Word of God himself, his very heart, his standard for life in his presence, and his perfect will for those who call on his name. The Bible is an amazing, precious gift given to us. Let's look at it today. So I'd like to start. Okay, I'll just put a disclaimer right up front. Um, There is no way to accomplish what we have said we're going to accomplish in the next few minutes. There's just no way. So we're going to put in here, but I hope it opens up a whole panorama, a whole new horizon for you of studying God's Word. I I hope by the time you leave here today, you say, that's amazing what God has given to us, and I hope you are drawn to dive into it even deeper than you already are.
That's, that's my hope this morning. So you're going you're gonna to walk away from here, you're going to say, but he didn't say this, and he didn't say that, and he didn't go down this direction. There's no way I can do all that. So here's my attempt at it this morning. How we got our Bible, this precious gift, how we got it. The story of the origins of Scripture is an amazing history. Humanly speaking, the, the, the Scriptures were, were written by approximately 40 men of diverse backgrounds. It was written over the course of 1,500 years. How many books can say that? This book was written over the course of 1,500 years. How many can say that? How many can say that 40 different authors of different backgrounds, different capabilities, different passions, different emphasis, they all came together with a, with a similar message, all going in the same direction without error? How many books could say that? Isaiah was a prophet. Ezra was a priest. Matthew was a tax collector. John was a fisherman. Paul was a learned religious leader and a tent maker. Moses was raised as Egyptian royalty, but he was known as a shepherd. Luke was a physician. And despite being authored by different people over 15 centuries, the Bible does not contradict itself and does not contain any errors. The authors all present different perspectives, but they all proclaim the same one true God and the same one way of salvation, Jesus Christ. It's either looking forward to Jesus Christ or explaining Jesus Christ and his ministry here or looking forward to the, the uh, end of the age with Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. Another aspect of this history is how the text of Scripture was passed down to us. The time doesn't permit me to go into all the details, but it's a fascinating study. I want you to look farther, further at it. Thanks to the Dead Sea Scrolls, we can verify that the original Old Testament writings are the same as what we have today. It's an amazing story. The New Testament is validated by the sheer number of original copies we have of original manuscripts, manuscripts or parts of it. Thousands of pages and pieces of original manuscripts have no significant differences in text. The Testaments we have today are what have been passed down from the original authors. The historical authenticity of Scripture is unparalleled by any other ancient books. And um, I, I encourage you to, Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, is one that comes to my mind. He has uh, several chapters in there on the authenticity of Scripture, and it is well worth the read. You will be amazed at what God has done. The canon of the Old Testament... Um, Canon means the books that are considered to be scripture, was considered closed at the time of Nehemiah and Ezra and Esther, around 435 BC, is when the canon of scripture was closed for the Old Testament. The word of the Lord had ceased. Prophets, no prophets were speaking for God from that time forward until the time of Christ. When Jesus and the disciples appeared in history, they saw the Old Testament as the inspired word of God, and Jesus quoted from it often. The apostles and the authors of the New Testament quoted it as well. So turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy. This will be, this will be our main base camp this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're using familiar verses because I'd like to re-familiarize you to these verses, and I'd like you to have some, some foundational verses on each of these topics. So they're not in your notes, so I, I, I hope that you write these down in your notes. 
these references because they're foundational. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll start at verse 15. He's speaking to Timothy. Let's go back to 14, who's a young disciple of the Apostle Paul's. He's a church planter, and he says this to him, but as for you, Timothy, I'll add that in there, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from, what you, from, from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able, there's the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? The Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. All Scripture, here we go, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good works. Good work. Paul refers to the ancient writings. That's the Hebrew Old Testament. Peter refers to the prophets and the inspiration of their Old Testament writings in both of his epistles. Until the New Testament could be written and compiled, the Old Testament scriptures were the foundation for the believers in the first church. The Old Testament was the wellspring of the new revelation brought by Jesus and taught by the disciples. <clears throat> I have a couple of quotes. Irenaeus, uh, early church father, says, I have pointed out the truth and shown the preaching of the church, which the prophets proclaimed, which Christ brought to perfection, the apostles have handed down, from which the church, receiving these truths, has transmitted them to her sons. So Irenaeus here is saying that the, the prophets of the Old Testament, all the things that were written down in the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, are joined together with the, what the apostles have written in the New Testament, and it's all one voice, it's all one spirit that is writing. It's all directed by God. Old and New Testament are here inspired by God for you. And Irenaeus says that it's passed down to the church. Let's go to the next slide if we could. Origen said this, that this spirit inspired each one of the saints, whether prophets or apostles, and that there was not one spirit in the men of the Old Covenant, and another in those who were inspired at the coming of Christ. It's most clearly taught throughout the churches. That was the view of the early church. The teaching of Scripture is unified in its message. Jesus said that every word of the Old Testament law would be fulfilled. Luke 16, 17. The teaching of the Gospels and the Epistles is consistent with the Old Testament. The Word of God speaks through the history and the law of Moses. The worship of the psalmist the wisdom of Solomon, the Gospels or the letters of the Apostles, it all, it all proclaims the glory of God. It all tells his history, his story. It all teaches us how to walk in his kingdom, whether it's old or new. And you've heard me say before that I've, I've had people over the, the years that I've been involved in, in, um, in the pastorate, I've had people tell me that the Old Testament doesn't matter. I actually had one person walk down the aisle after a sermon one day on, on the book of Exodus and talking about Moses and the, and the people um, leaving Egypt. I gave a sermon on that, a whole series on I love preaching about Exodus. Walked right down this aisle, stood here in front of me and said, Mike, that, that was a really good sermon. Makes me almost want to read the Old Testament, but the, really, the Old Testament doesn't matter. And I don't think you should be preaching out of it. I have a newsflash for you. 
Okay, here, here's, here's one way I say it. The gospel is cover to cover here. We think of the gospel as simply the gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the good news of Jesus Christ begins in Genesis 1 and it ends at the, at the last verse of Revelation. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's one way to define it. The scripture that you hold in your hand is divinely inspired by God himself in its original language. Behind all the authors is the singular voice of God and his Holy Spirit that weaves it all together. Now let's look at this amazing revelation. Go back to 2 Timothy again. Let me read verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Paul tells us that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, that no part of the Old Testament had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the question naturally arises, well, how did God speak to the authors? How did they know to write the unfailing word of God? How is it that Scripture is breathed out by God? How is it that it's the very breath of God when human authors are involved? Excellent question. One, one version of this is that somehow God just simply dictated to the authors. Like I, I believe the Book of Mormon was and other, other so-called holy books are just dictated by an angel or somebody. Just write down these words. Like we're simply robots listening and taking dictation and just writing it out. Another idea of how God breathed out his word is, is reflects the, the pagan practices of the day. And that is that pagan priests, if they wanted to hear from God, small g, if they wanted to hear from God, they would work themselves into a frenzy. They would dance, they would run around, they'd scream and holler and work themselves into some kind of an ecstatic state and then they would begin to write down what they believe God is telling them in that ecstatic state. And some would say that the, the fact that God breathed out his word means that he somehow got a hold of his, his prophets and his apostles, and they were in some kind of an ecstatic state, some kind of a state that was directly locked into God. That's one way to look at it. From that controlled state of mind, they would write down what God says. In the same sense that one way to say it is that the inspiration of God is described as the author yielding himself to the Spirit and the Spirit managing them as a musician as Tom was playing his guitar this morning and using a pick. I don't know if he used a pick this morning or not. Say, say you used a pick so the illustration doesn't break down. He always uses a pick. Did you hear that? So the idea is that God just, it's like a, it's like a mus uh, musical instrument and God is playing that. That's one idea. That's one way to look at it. Men were moved by the Spirit. But each of these views seems to discount the role of the authors themselves. And I think this is an amazing thing that we can't discount. As Peter teaches, men were moved by the Spirit. God uses the words. He used the words of the authors, but he also used their personalities. He also used their, their character and their passions. So we see the, the raw emotions of the psalmist in the Psalms. We see the fear, the courage, the frustration, the worship of Moses as he led God's people through the wilderness. 
we see the Apostle John trying to describe his visit to heaven and trying to put into words exactly what he's seeing. We hear Paul, the Apostle Paul, teaching with, with passion, sometimes, sometimes with anger, sometimes clarifying the gospel. Sometimes in, in, in the book of Acts, we see that the Apostle Paul is weeping with the Ephesian elders. And we see in 2 Timothy that, that the Apostle Paul implores Timothy, please come to me before winter. Bring my jacket. And by the way, stay away from these guys because they did me bad and, and make sure these guys are commended for their, for their walk with the Lord. See, God uses the authors and he uses their passions, he uses their personalities in the words of Scripture to bring it off the page to us. Their personalities and their observations of the authors, it's seen in the Scripture. If you read through the book of Acts, the Luke writes down the book of Acts, and, and oftentimes you'll see, and then we went by ship. And it's thought that Luke, as he wrote the book of Acts, was fascinated by travel. And so if you read the book of Acts, well, we went, through, we went on a ship, and this is what the ship was like, and we went through a storm, and the seas were this high, because he loved to travel. It's all coming out in the pages of Scripture. And perhaps you've experienced this when you write out your testimony. Sandy and I developed our marriage testimony for, for the next hour. We're going to share our marriage testimony in class. And we've had a great time putting that together this week. God used that to take us back over, over what he's done in our life. Maybe you've studied God's word and you've had the, had the word just come off the page. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Perhaps God has given you the words to say, to speak when you're sharing your faith with someone, when you're sharing God's word with someone, and you, and you go away from that moment and you say, what happened? It was the Holy Spirit who carried you along. I've experienced it when preparing a study or a sermon, and sometimes the words, the principles, and the illustration just seem to flow out of the pen. The Holy Spirit uses our lives to speak the truths and grace of God. I think this is just a taste of how God used the authors, how he moved them to write Scripture. It was the Holy Spirit who moved them to write what they did. He showed them the truth of God, and he worked it out in their lives. That's why we declare without compromise that the Scripture is inspired by God. In its totality, in every written word, it is superintended and given by the Holy Spirit. The book that you hold in your hand today is a modern translation of the original text given by God himself. It is the breath of God. It is the living word of God. So inspiration is one of the words I'd like you to take away today. It is inspired by God. It is his very words. There are two other words that I, I would like you to take away today as we think about the scripture. They help us to see the precious and foundational nature of God's word in our hand. The first word I'd like to draw your attention to is infallibility. Infallibility tells us that the Bible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is true and reliable in everything that it speaks of. Infallibility also tells us that God will accomplish all he declares in scripture. It's his word, and it's reliable, and it's trustworthy to accomplish everything that he says he'll do. Infallibility. 
The other word, the third word, inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy. It's a closely related concept to infallibility, but there is a fine dividing line. The idea says that God's word is without error in all of its references. Without error. Try that in the break room at work tomorrow. This inerrancy is not limited to religious, spiritual things, topics, but it also includes scientific and historical references. For most of history, I thought this was interesting, I've been reading a book on historical theology. For most of history, these issues were rarely challenged. It's only been recently that accusations of errors and inconsistencies disqualify Scripture. In our day, inerrancy is a crucial issue. But I want you to catch something here. Someone will say, well, it says this number in this letter, and then the other author you describes the same thing as common across the Gospels. Matthew describes the situation this way. Mark describes it this way. Luke describes it another way. Well, they use the, the number of 3,000 over here and 5,000 over here. And why? why? They're different. That's where the personality of the authors comes into play. They are witnesses, and they're seeing things. And, and I understand investigators will tell you that no, if two witnesses have the same story, the same details, then you know they're lying to you. Because every witness sees it from a different perspective and a different angle. And so it is with the authors of Scripture. So when someone says, well, it's full of errors, it's full of mistakes. It doesn't mean that numbers aren't rounded up or rounded down or history is seen from a different perspective from one author or another. They, 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 they witness the story with different words. But God uses it all to bring it together to show us exactly what he's doing and where he's going. I would challenge you if someone says it's full of errors, is, well, point it out to me. And there are very few errors that don't have an explanation for them of some kind. Okay? And then the other principle is this. If you, if you come to something that you just don't understand, uh, I, I'm not studied on this, so forgive me, if I, but I, I think this is accurate. So as Paul would say, this is not the gospel. This is just me talking. King David was not... Help me out here, Jamie. King David was not in the archaeological record for many, many years. And all of a sudden, King David... So, we don't even know if King David even existed. Here's the other principle. Wait. Archaeology will show it out. God will reveal it in his time. And in recent days, King David, archaeological finds regarding King David have come to the surface. And all of a sudden, we can see a coin with his name on it. We can see a transcript with this, his name on it. All of a sudden, King David is real. But if you listen to the skeptics over the years, they'd say, well, no, he, the, the, King, King David is all made up in the pages of Scripture. And so it is with other illustrations. If, if we don't have an answer for it today, wait. God will reveal it. God will reveal it. Can't wait to know where Noah's Ark is. And we will know. It might be here. It might be on the other side. It might be in eternity. But we will know. God will reveal all of his truths. See, the scripture you hold in your hand is the inspired word of God. It's infallible in its purpose. 
and it's inerrant in its teaching. And I would add this. If you, if you come up with someone whose doctrine is strange, if you come up against a teaching that is just not biblical, and brothers and sisters, the church, the, 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 the church at large today is full of false teaching. I, I hate to say that, but it's full of false teaching. And brothers and sisters, we have to be Bereans who test the word of God, who test whatever is said, whether it comes out of my mouth or a radio preacher or whatever it is, never take my word for it. Test it against the scripture. So if you come across something, and I, I, there's one particular denomination, I won't mention it by name, that I, I, I tend to watch in particular, and they have completely gone off the rails. And the, the teachings coming out of that denomination are absolutely bizarre. And here's why. Here's why. Because some years ago, and I can, I can give you a date, some years ago they pulled the stake out of the ground and they said, this is not the infallible word of God. This is not the inerrant word of God. And so you go out 25, 30, 40 years, and the place is a, is a train wreck. Because, because click by click, degree by degree, they have decided, well, this isn't true, and that's not true, and we don't understand this, and we don't understand that, and so we'll, we'll add a little bit here, and we'll put our own social justice flavor to it, and they stop measuring it by God's word. And pretty soon you wind up with a whole denomination that's gone sideways. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us to plow a straight line with Scripture. We need to know and understand God's Word so that we can grow up and we become mature in Christ and we can have sound doctrine. Our faith can be sure, secure, and based on the promises that God has for us. Every conversation that I've ever had with evangelism or discussing what God is doing or who God is, what God is doing in the world. You've been in those conversations and, and hopefully you're in them often. But I never cease to be amazed at the fact that at the end of the discussion, it comes down to one question. Is this the word of God or isn't it? Is it the word of God or isn't it? And I guess I would, I would add one thing related to that. And I think it's amazing. This truth that we've talked about this morning is amazing. Here it is, two words. God speaks. And so when I'm speaking to somebody in, in that kind of a conversation, they'll, they'll, uh, we'll go on for a while. I'd like to draw it out with questions, things like that, and hear honestly what they have to say. And then I will stop somewhere in the conversation and I'll say, do you want to hear what God says about it? And that's a pivot point where the conversation will either shut down or you will dive deeper into deeper and more profound things. And I believe God speaks through his word is where that conversation will go. I'm completely off track. So the true standard. Um, I, Romans 15, 4. And let's turn to Hebrews 4, verse 12. Paul writes in, in Romans 15.4 that the words of the prophets were written down for our sake. 
for our sake. Hebrews 4.12 says this, another foundational verse, write it down. Write it down. For the word of God is living and active. It's inspired, right? It's the very breath of God. It's the word of God. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the true standard that we are to live by. God is not giving us his word simply to describe himself or to give us a, a version of history, his version of history. He's not simply giving us his word so that he can describe the world from his perspective. God is teaching us about his love. He's teaching about our, his righteousness. He's teaching about his judgments and his truths. He is teaching us what his kingdom is like, how to enter into it and how to walk in his truth. We just did a whole series on, on the Sermon on the Mount. as Jesus teaching us, you've heard it said, thus it is written, but I say to you, and God, Jesus completes the truths. What it means to walk in his kingdom, to live in his kingdom, what it is to be a citizen of his, what it is to be a child of his, what it is to, to live in his identity. Ultimately, his word is there to lead us in the salvation that he offers to us. You see, the book you hold in your hand is the sure rule of life. It's the rule of faith. When we come to the end of our wisdom, we come to the end of our power, God's word is a sure anchor. At the bedside of a patient or the grave of a loved one, it's not human wisdom that carries us. It's the word and the wisdom of God that carries us through those moments. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 73 lamented the cruelty. I love this psalm, Psalm 73. He lamented the, the way the world was running. Those who don't care about God are getting ahead. He says they're getting fat. They don't care about God. They're mocking God. And yet, God, they seem to be blessed. Their life is carefree. And he says, He's, he, he just ponders all this. The world is spinning around him, and yet I alone am walking with God, and I don't understand what's the profit in walking with God. Love the Psalms. The psalmist is just pouring out his heart, and he, he goes on to say in Psalm 73, he says, you know, when I thought about this, when I thought about the world going crazy out there, and I thought the world doesn't care about God, and yet they seem to live carefree, he says, I almost slipped and fell. And here's the powerful word. Psalm 73, he says, but then I entered into the temple of God, into the very presence of God, and then I understood. You see, all of that stuff, all the cares of the world, all the, all the injustices, everything that, we, everything that we list down there, we say, this is unfair, I don't like this, this is hard, this is painful, all these things, they all disappear when we come into the presence of God and we see him for who he is. And we see his sovereignty, and we, and we, and we see his power, and we, we experience his grace and his love. And how do you do that, brothers and sisters? You do it by encountering Jesus Christ in the words of the Scriptures. Let the word speak to you. It's his wisdom. It's him pouring out his life. It's him breathing out his life for you. It's there in the word of God that we take rest and reassurance in all that God is and has for us. The book you hold in your hand is the very word of God and is the rule, the measure, and the strength of life. 
It's your refuge in the storm, your freedom from bondage, and your grace for a wounded heart, and your strength for weary hands. This is the word of God. I have a few questions for you this morning. Let me just ask you this. There's a study guide on the table in the foyer. I've got uh, some helps on there on how to study God's word. Please take a copy of it. Let me leave you with these questions. How are we feeding ourselves on God's word? I tend not to ask people what time, where, all those things are important. I tend not to ask that question. My simple question to you and to me is, how are you feeding yourself on God's Word? What are you doing to create a routine that allows you to encounter God's Word on a daily basis? Are we meditating on God's Word? Are we even memorizing it so that it's implanted in our thoughts and our hearts? If you couldn't access your phone, your computer, or even your Bible, would God's Word still be accessible in your heart? and in your mind? Could you sustain yourself with God's truth and with his promises without those means? Are you learning how to study God's word, to plow a straight path in it so that we're not blown around by every wind of doctrine? Are we taking care to pass on the skill and passion for the word of God to the next generation? It's our passion here at Valley Free to equip you in God's word, to lead you into the richness of God's word. We want you to experience all that he has for you, and what he has for you is in the pages of Scripture as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. Let's pray. Father, you have spoken through the prophets and the apostles, and it's all written down for us here so that we can hear your heart, learn of you, We can take on your ways. We can live in life, love, and eternity and in your kingdom because of the words written. It's not just a book. It is you speaking to us. The God of the universe, the God who rules and reigns over all things, speaks to us. Thank you for this precious gift. May it be a part of our lives today and the days coming. Lord, may we drink in your word. May the richness of your word fill our hearts. May we walk in its its glory and its splendor, in its depths, led by your spirit. We commit ourselves to you for this purpose, to bring you glory and to learn of you through your word. In Jesus' name, our Lord, amen. Amen. On your way, rejoicing.